0: Today, we have a glimpse into
1: the military leadership of David, who has just become the king over all of Israel. No longer is the kingdom divided, but David is immediately put to the test. He's tested in more ways than one, and furthermore, he experiences a series of tests. What kind of leader would David be? Life's decisions are often more involved than what they appear to be at first sight. It is not simply the action that we take, but the manner in which we take that action, along with the thought process that goes into those decisions, that ultimately prove to find acceptance or not. The theme this morning is that David is a leader who trusts in the Lord by seeking the Lord's guidance in doing what the Lord says. Now that sounds very simplistic, but I hope that by the end of this message you will realize that that is quite an astonishing statement. David is a leader who trusts the Lord by seeking the Lord's guidance and doing what the Lord says. Key verse is 2 Samuel 5.25. And David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. So we begin by looking at the first test, that is, the Philistines coming against David, verse 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So we are now introduced to David's thought process and going to battle against the Philistines. And the first thing we note is that David seeks and receives the Lord's guidance. David seeks the Lord's guidance verse 19, and David inquired of the Lord, "Shall I go up against the Philistines?" What is important to note here is that David is truly seeking the Lord's guidance. He does not simply to decide to attack the Philistines and then asked God to bless him and get on board and give him the victory. Now, David knew that God had set him apart to deliver the children of Israel from the Philistines. Samuel had said that back in the time in which David is first anointed to be king. So he knows that God's purpose for his life is to deliver the Philistines. So it seems like a no-brainer that when the Philistines are going to come up against David and the Israelites, that David's immediate response would be, well, I need to go out and fight them. But that is not his immediate response. His response is to seek the Lord's direction. I say that's important for all too often, we ask God to bless our plans and agenda rather than seek to understand God's own plan and agenda. How often our prayers are directive of God. We tell God what to do. We tell God how he should act. We tell God how he is to provide this job, or how he is to save this individual, or what God is to do in our lives. We tell God what we want him to do, and then say, Lord, please provide. Please provide. Bless. But it usually starts with our agenda as opposed to starting with God's agenda. David does indeed receive guidance from the Lord in verse 19. David inquired the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? You give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David. So the Lord responded, the Lord spoke, probably through the high priest. It's no small thing that God answered David. Unlike Saul, who in the battle that precedes this, seven years earlier in which Saul and Jonathan lost their lives and Israel made a uh, great blunder. In 1 Samuel chapter 28, it reads, the Philistines assembled and came and camped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel, and they camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the enemy of the Pharisees, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Now, it's been a while since we've been in those chapters, but one must keep in mind that Saul had been repeatedly told by God what he was to do, and on occasion after occasion, Saul failed to do it. Most significantly, the way in which he was persecuting and chasing after David. And so, God was silent. God did not answer. God did not give direction to Saul. Here, God tells David to enter the battle with the Philistines, and that God will give him the victory. The end of verse 19, And the Lord said to David, Go up. For I certainly will give the Philistines into your hand. It's important that we seek the Lord's guidance. And in seeking that guidance, we actually follow it. We do what it says. It's important that as we read the scriptures, that we read for the Lord's direction, for the Lord's guidance, that we are seeking to follow his instructions in our daily lives. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is the way in which we express our love and gratitude to God by doing what he says. And if we repeatedly fail to obey the word of God when instructed, or when we're convicted by his spirit and simply do not do what he is leading us to do, it is not surprising that eventually The Word of God will become a dry book to us, and we will fail to encounter God when we read it. The same is true in the preaching of the Word of God. If we close our ears to what God is telling us to do, eventually he becomes silent. Eventually he does not answer. Eventually he does not lead and direct in the way in which we so desperately need and desire. So here, David inquires, God answers. And David follows the Lord's direction in verse 20. David came to Baal's Perazim, and David defeated them there. Then we have the outcome of the battle. And there are three things that we want to note in this outcome of the battle. First, is that the Philistines are defeated, as God said they would be, verse 20. And David came to Baal's Perism, and David defeated them there. The second outcome is that David attributes the success of the victory to the Lord's help. Middle of verse 20, and he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Then he goes on to say, therefore, the name of that place is called Baal Del Delrave Davis in his commentary states, and I quote, Baal Perizim means Lord of burstings out commemorating the way Yahweh had broken down the Philistines. David compared Yahweh's activity to the way a massive torrent of water breaks down everything in its path. Just so Jehovah levels the opposition, God literally wiped them out. And David gives honor and glory and praise to God. And now this third thing, and I'm going to camp on this for a little bit, for it's extremely important. The third outcome is the Philistines in their hasty retreat leave their idols on the battlefield verse 21. And the Philistines left their idols there. There's a lot to be understood in that simple little statement that I want to unpack for you this morning. First of all, first of all, the idols were a burden and not a help as they fled the battlefield and left their idols behind. The troops would have been slowed down in their retreat by carrying their idols with them. The futility and the burden of the idols is described in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 46, starting at verse 1, it reads, "Bell bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols are on beasts and livestock, These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. And that's exactly what happens in this instance. So these idols that are going to slow them down, these idols that are actually going to get in their way, they just leave them on the battlefield as they flee. This shows the Lord's supremacy over the gods of the Philistines. Then it says that David carried the idols off. Verse 21, and David and his men carried them away. Now, if you remember 1 Samuel, and I hope you do because all these passages just build upon each other, there's an informing theology that we're to to see. There's an echo of the humiliating defeat that was encountered by the Israelites when the Philistines carried off the ark as a trophy of war in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 11, which reads, And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died. But there are some similar, there are some striking dissimilarities. There, there are some important differences that need to be kept in mind. The first is that in the battle in which the ark was lost,
0: the Israelites did not flee and leave it behind. But rather, the Philistines came and captured it. So they didn't abandon it, but
1: they had to surrender it. It was taken from them where on this occasion, they have abandoned their idols. They have left them behind. And then secondly, on that occasion, meaning the first one when the Ark was captured, on that occasion, the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant back to their city and placed it in the temple of Dagon. If you remember the story, 1 Samuel 5, verses 1 and 2, when the Philistines captured the Ark of God, They brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. So they wanted to humiliate the Israelites and more significantly they wanted to humiliate the God of Israel, the true and living God, Jehovah God. And so in order to humiliate the true and living God, and to give praise to Dagon, they set the Ark of the Covenant in
0: the temple of Dagon. However, God revealed his power and strength to the Philistines
1: and demonstrated that God was superior to their god, Dagon. They captured the Ark not because Dagon was superior to the true and living God, and not because God could not save or protect the Israelites, but because God was disciplining the Israelites for their disobedience. And so God reveals his power to the Philistines in 1 Samuel 5, 3. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. A uh, little humor there. Here is this, this uh, god. He's fallen flat, flat on his face. So they pick him up and put him back where he belongs. Verse Samuel 5, 4. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. God demonstrated his superiority. God demonstrated that he had power over Dagon and over the Philistines by cutting off the head of Dagon and his hands. The Philistines come to recognize God's power and they return the ark. In 1 Samuel 5, 6 and 7, it says, The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. They said, We can't keep this ark here. God is against us, and, of course, they send the ark back to
0: Israel. That's the background. So what does David do with these idols
1: that are carried away? What does he do? Well, we we don't need to speculate. There is a parallel account in 1 Chronicles, and I invite you to turn there with me. 1 Chronicles chapter 14 is a parallel account to our passage. You will certainly recognize it. 1 Chronicles chapter 14, I'm going to start reading at verse 8. First and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, first and 2 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 14, reading at verse 8. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went out against them. Now the Philistines had come and made a raid in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, "Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand?" And the Lord said to him, "Go up, and I will give them into your hand." And he went up to Bel-perazim, and David struck them down there. And David said, "God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a bursting flood." Therefore, the name of that place is called Bel perazim And they left their gods there. And David
0: gave command, and they burned them. And they burned them. There's no contradiction here. They carried
1: those idols away from the battlefield, and then they burned them. They burned them. The idols were destroyed in keeping with God's commands. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 5, it reads, But thus shall you deal with them, that is, the idols that are captured. Thus you will deal with them. You shall break down their altars, dash in pieces their pillars, chop down their ashram, and burn their carved images with fire. So God had instructed that when they are in the promised land and they are conquering these nations and they are taking captive their idols, they are to burn them. They are to burn them. Unlike the true and living God who can defend himself, these idols not only could not defend the Philistines, these idols could not defend themselves. God divinely protected the Ark of the Covenant and it was returned. These idols were burned. They were destroyed. They were never returned. They did not continue on. It should not be lost that in the very next chapter, it's devoted to the Ark of the Covenant and bringing it to Jerusalem. I'm going to say a lot more about that next week, about the connections that exist between this chapter, and the next chapter, and they're very, very significant. I'll just hopefully whet your appetite that there's a purpose, there's a point of chapter 6 in bringing the Ark of the Covenant to
0: Jerusalem. David praises God, passed the test, and he is glorified.
1: Now, the second test is much like the first. Notice verse 22. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. The situation is very similar to the previous situation as seen in the words yet again. Yet again, it's reminding us of the similarity between the first occasion and the second. Notice the similarities. First, the enemy is the same. It's the Philistines that came up. It's the Philistines that came up the first time. It's the Philistines come up the second time. Second similarity. It's in the same location. It's in the Valley of Rephaim that they came up the first time. And it's the Valley of Rephaim that they come up the second time. So, here we go again. right? Here, here is this Whole scenario playing out again. But what is interesting is that David doesn't just come to the conclusion and say, been there, done that, right? I mean, (laughs) this is old hat. We saw what happens, and David just goes up to battle. No, no. David, once again, is going to inquire of the Lord what he should do. Seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? But he's going to
0: seek the Lord's direction. Verse 23. And when David inquired of the Lord, he gets a different answer. When David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up. You shall not go up. On the first occasion, he said, Go up. On
1: the second occasion, he said, Don't go up. And it means to go directly into battle, it means to take him head on. Instead, David is to attack them from behind. Middle of verse 23. Go around to their rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. So instead of a frontal attack, this time you're to attack them from the rear. Balsam trees over here. The
0: Philistines here. David's army over here. David is to attack on the Lord's signal. And what a signal it is.
1: The signal is when you, David, hear the sound of troops marching in the tops of the trees, then you're to attack, verse 24. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself. and It means immediately get up, move. When you hear the sound of the troops, in the tops of the balsam trees then go to battle. Now here is the significance of the signal. And if you mark your Bible, uh, I encourage you to underline this or star it or do something. For
0: it is key to the passage. And rouse yourself, and now these words. For then,
1: The Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. All right? The Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. Literally, God is out in front of the Philistine army, David is in the rear. God is going to begin this. Attack. David obeys and God grants the victory, verse 25. And David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Gaba to Gezer. So what's the point? Well there are some very needy theological applications that come out of this text. The first is this statement of God going before them. God going before them. Moses, just before his death, as he is preaching his final final message to the children of Israel, readying them to enter the promised land, says this. Deuteronomy 31, starting at verse 1. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God
0: himself will go over before you. Same words. The Lord Him." God Himself
1: will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you, so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head, as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as He did to Shihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when He destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you. And you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you should put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord will go before you. That is, God will be with them. God will help them. God will personally precede and lead the way. It's Like a blocker in football, the running back is to follow the blocker who will make the first contact and clear the way. God will clear the way. They are but to follow him. It is the Lord's personal involvement that brings about the success I can't stress that enough. It is the Lord's personal involvement
0: that brings about the success. I say that because all too often, trust
1: in the Lord is unwittingly misplaced by trusting in a program or trusting in what has worked in the past. God is the source of our success. That is the major takeaway of this section. Why is this such an important lesson to learn? Well, first of all, because far too often we make decisions on what we are to do by what has worked or not worked in the past. Secondly, we are not to limit God's help to strategy that God provides. It's amazing to me, after uh, reading commentary after commentary, I have over 50 commentaries, on 1 Samuel uh, and 2
0: Samuel. And most of them are caught up with the strategy of attacking the army from the rear. They say that on this particular
1: occasion, there needed to be a different strategy because the size of the Philistine army was so much larger on the second advance than they were on the first
0: occasion. The scripture makes no allusion to that. Doesn't say that at all. Secondly, they say what won the day is the surprise that the people were taken aback,
1: they expected Daniel to attack from the front, excuse me, David, to attack from the front, he attacked from the rear, so he got the edge of surprise and was able to grab the defeat. Again, that's not in the text, that's not what it says. There's an element of truth to that, but it's not what the text points us to. Thirdly, they say that the army was in disarray, the Philistine army, when they heard what was the sound of troops thinking that there was a huge army in front of them and a huge army behind them, and so in their fear they just fled and etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And again, nothing in the text that speaks of that, alludes to
0: that, talks about that. The text says, God is going to go before you. And I believe that that line of thinking
1: misses the whole point. It misses the whole point. It is not that God is supplying them with an incredible strategy. They aren't going to win because they're attacking from the back. They're winning because God is going before
0: them. The attacking from the back is simply the opposite of what they did before. It's to teach that the methodology is not the key. It's God's help. God provided them with his personal help. He went
1: before them. So if I go back to my football illustration, like in a football game, the coach may draw up a good plan, but the execution is in the running back following the blockers that are out in front. It's the blocking on the field that brings the success. It's not the strategy, it's God going before
0: them. God in his infinite wisdom to guard the children of Israel
1: from that mistake provides them with a strategy that they cannot duplicate. They can obviously attack from the rear again. They can duplicate that.
0: But they cannot duplicate the sound of the troops in the trees. That's totally of God. That's a God thing. Only God can do that. And they were going to need God's help in the future. And so they were to rely upon God. Why am I making such a big deal out of this? Because in Christendom,
1: all too often, it's the methodology that is credited with the success
0: rather than with the Lord. We are huge in Christendom of following Christian ministries
1: that have done well, that have met with great success. And these Christian ministries market and package their programs. They tell you how they did it. And they will sell to you the steps that they went through, so you can do it too.
0: And you can be successful. Just by the program. Evangelism abounds with programs that will supply you with
1: just the right way to hold a meeting, just the right way to give an invitation. They will supply you with words to say, diagrams. They'll say this, you say that. If they say this, you say this. And you look through and, you know, A, C, D, what what am I supposed to say? How am I going to respond? And you will
0: meet with success. Unless we're too hard on the Christian programs and activities, think about our own thinking. Think about our own thinking. We come to a planning meeting. We say to ourselves, what are we going to do next year? Well, what worked last year? What did God bless? Or somebody says, let's do this. And somebody else says, oh, we tried that before and it didn't work. It's amazing how quickly we can fall into this snare of the power lies in the methodology. It doesn't. It doesn't. That which worked before may not work again. And that which didn't work before may work this time. What God wants us to do is trust in him and do what he says. Whatever that is whether it makes good
1: sense to us or not. This makes good sense. This sounds like sh- great strategy. Poor Israelites, when they came to Jericho and were told to march around it for seven days, and on the seventh day, the walls are gonna fall down. That doesn't sound like a real good strategy. Is it any wonder God says, uh, excuse me, that Moses says to Joshua,
0: be strong and courageous. <laughs> because you're going to have to do some things that look pretty stupid. Sometimes God's word makes a whole lot of sense.
1: Sometimes we look at it and say, yeah, boy, the wisdom of it just jumps off the pages. and We thank God for his wisdom and his direction and his insight. And there are other times he tells us to do things and we say, what? I don't like that.
0: It doesn't make sense we resist it, and we choose to go our own way and ask God to bless it. There's much more danger there than what might appear in first sight. We're tempted to look at what others have done and simply copy their approach rather than say, it is the
1: Lord who has blessed his work. We need to seek his help and guidance. So, great takeaways. Three of them. First,
0: don't ask God to bless your plans and goals. Seek God's direction for your plans and goals. A simple admonition of the scripture is, cast your care upon him, knowing that he cares for you. So if you're looking for a job, you don't need to tell God
1: what job it is you want and how he has to work and move in the particular person that you are going to interview with and lay out the six steps that you need to do to get this
0: job. Rather, you need to go to the Lord and say, I need a job. I need a job. However you provide, however you lead, however you direct, I need a job. Rather than tell God how to meet our needs, we're to trust God in meeting our needs.
1: And so often he does it in ways that we would not ask
0: and we would not think. And we marvel. And that's the whole point. We are to marvel. We are to see it as a God thing. We're
1: to see his leading. We're to see his direction. We are to see his provision.
0: And here they do. And it's a wonderful thing. Secondly, don't attribute your success to the greatness of your plans. Attribute success to the work and activity of a personal God who goes before us. Let's not be quick to ask somebody how they did it, but rather give glory to the God who has done it, who has blessed, who has provided. And you know the Bible stories. God provides
1: with a coin in a fish's mouth. God provides with manna from heaven. God provides with oil that doesn't run out. God provides, God provides, and God provides
0: by fields bearing fruit, sending water and rain, and giving abundance of crops. God provides
1: in the ordinary, and He provides in the extraordinary. The key is, it's God who
0: provides. And so the great hymn. Now thank we all our God. That's the lesson. So thirdly, when successful. Avoid the temptation to return to simply what you
1: did before. But ask God what do you want us to do. And rather than return to what you've done before, return to the God who gave you the success before. And say, God,
0: I'm trusting you. For whatever it is that you have for us in the future, whatever you have for me to do. Seek God's help new and afresh
1: every day. Seek his wisdom new and fresh every day. Read the scripture with the intent of asking, God, reveal to yourself how I should
0: respond to the events and activities of this day. How I should conduct myself. What I should do. Rather than telling God, these are the things I'm going to face today. This is what you need to do what would you want me to do? How would you want me to respond? How can I bring glory to you by submitting to your will and your purpose when it makes sense and when it doesn't make sense? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank
1: you that you are the great provider. We thank you that you go before us. You have promised that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Oh, Lord,
0: we are a people of plans. We are a people of strategy. We are a people that are so accustomed to believing that there is
1: a way to success. Five keys to that. Four steps to this. And if all we do is do the right things, they eventually... We will see the fruit, we will see the benefit, we will see the success. Oh Lord, help us to see that success comes from you, that accomplishment is a result of your activity, your work. It's you going before us. Lord, give us the ability to read the scriptures
0: and to see what they say and not read into them our experiences. But may we see in this text, it is solely the fact that you went before them that brought about
1: this great victory. Teach us the truth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen.